To, 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 to hear what you have to say through your word. We thank you that our hearts have been made ready through worshipping you, Lord. We have come into the gates of, through the gates of praise and enter into the sanctuary of our, of our God. And we have taken our places before the feet of Jesus. And we want to hear him speak, Lord. Father, we, we don't want man to influence anything, Lord. We don't want man, oh God, to, to be the, the center of attention. Lord, we want your spirit to make Jesus great this morning. That the spirit will take our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our attentions and focus them all upon Christ and Christ alone. So Lord, I pray that your spirit will come in power. Use broken and weak vessels, Lord. Use us to to speak, but also, Lord, open the ears and understanding of men and women, young and old. Today, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've um, entitled this message, Counting the Cost. And it's amazing that our society are, are, is really good at hiding the cost of things. Young people don't know how much a iPhone 5 or iPhone 6 Plus cost. You know, it's around over the 500, 600 pound mark. No one knows really because it's all hidden in the contract charges and no one knows actually how much a mobile phone might cost you just to buy straight out. Other things are amazing. You know, the, the government is trying to close down those payday loan shops. You've seen them around. And the reason why, because people want to go in and, and get money out quickly, but they don't realize that it's costing them an arm and a leg in order to get just a few extra pounds early out of their paycheck. People don't count the costs in our day and age. But Jesus, he wanted the people who were following him to count the cost of being his disciple. So as I open this part of the, the Bible, what you need to understand that the promised Messiah was coming. And for the Jews, that was the biggest thing in history. For the promised Messiah to come, that was the biggest, hugest thing that can ever happen. Because they believed that when the Messiah came, the Roman Empire will fall and the Jewish Empire will rise. And so when the Messiah came, there will be position of great value being had by following the Messiah. And so we, we read that in our Bible reading was large crowds were traveling with Jesus. They were traveling with Jesus because they thought to themselves, this is the Messiah. And when he becomes king, Rome will fall. And we will become his princes, his sidekicks, his governors, his rulers. In fact, one mother thought that. We read in the Bible that the mother of Zebedee, the, the Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling down, asked a favor of Jesus. 
what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You see, she believed that when the kingdom was established, the Messiah came. Then one son will be on his right hand and the other son will be on his left hand. And, and they were thinking about position. They were thinking about wealth and richness and honor and glory and status. They were thinking about all these wonderful things that would happen to them if they followed Jesus. Large crowds was thinking the same thing. You know, it's strange that today in our Western churches, even some of our African churches as well around the world, people still think that if they follow Jesus, somehow they will get status. If they follow Jesus, wealth will come. Prosperity will come. Position will come. Grandeur will come. And so they look at Jesus and they thought, I can become a Christian and I can follow Jesus and I will be like the men I see on TV. I will be like the people who, who, who preach in big facilities and, and big churches and huge car parks with expensive cars and I will be like that. If I follow Jesus, I will have great reward on the earth. That still happens today. People still think that today. They think Jesus is a is, is a ticket in order to get to a certain place. But it happens today, hasn't changed, because all the way in Jesus' time, people were following the Messiah because they thought that he will make a kingdom on earth and they will be a part of it. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he speaks to them. So the first thing I want to say, three things Jesus says to them really. First I want to speak about love. Here's a verse that people find very difficult in the Bible. Here it is. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. People read that verse and say, what? What is Jesus saying? Is he saying what I think he's saying? Well, in order to understand that, first of all, Jesus, you didn't understand the, the Bible. You've got to understand that when it comes to um, your mother and father, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. You didn't understand that, which is the first commandment. When the Bible talks about your wife, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. You need to know that he says that as well in the scriptures. Even when you talk about your own body, the Bible says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies, just as Christ does the church. So, you know, hating your mother and your father, your wife and your husband, your children, what does Jesus really mean when he says, if you do not hate these things, you cannot be my disciple? What does he mean? Well, for me to explain that to you, it's always great to understand, when you want to understand the Bible, it's always great to go back to Genesis, back to the book of beginnings, to understand something. Now, we've heard of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, heard about these great men. 
Don't know much about Jacob, maybe. But Jacob, I want to stop in Jacob, because Jacob, after he, he left his father Isaac's house, he left and, and he went over to another place. And when he went to another place, he saw a woman called Rachel. When he saw Rachel, Joseph's heart began to beat. His knees became weak. His hands began to tremble. Like the words of Elvis Presley, he was all shook up. When he saw Rachel, he fell deeply and completely in love. And he said to himself, I've got to have that girl. So he went to the father and said, your daughter, you know, I've got to marry her. And the father said, yeah, sure. Well, you worked for me for seven years. She's all yours. <laughs> That's easy. So, Joe, so Jacob worked for seven years. And it says in the Bible that seven years flew by because it was love in his heart. Every night he was thinking about Rachel. Every moment he was working and turning, Rachel was in his mind. He was full of love. And so when the wedding day came, he was ready. But on the wedding day, he found out that the father didn't give Rachel to him. He gave her older sister, Leah. When he got home and he took the veil off and it was Leah. <laughs> what? Go back to the man, the for Rachel. No blue bear. I didn't think of it. Rachel was the, the apple of my eye. Rachel was the supreme one. And now you've given me Leah, your older sister. Well, I had to do it because in our culture, you cannot marry the older one first. The younger one first. You've got to marry the older one. That's our culture. So you've got to have her. You can have Rachel as well, but you've got to have her first. And so, Jacob had two wives. He had Leah and he had Rachel. Now, he loved both these two ladies. The reason why we know he loved both these two ladies because, you know, Leah as well, she had uh, ten of his sons. And daughters as well, but sons, ten sons he had from her. But also, he loved Rachel. But look what, now this is where I'm coming to, look what the Bible says in Genesis. It says this, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, now, Leah was not hated by Jacob, no. Leah was loved less than Rachel was loved. Leah was loved by Jacob, and, and he went to her, and he loved her, and he made love to her, and she gave him ten wonderful boys, and he loved her, but she was loved less than Rachel. Rachel was the one that he, he wanted. Rachel was the one that he, he adored. Rachel was the one that he, he worked so hard for. And when Rachel gave him children, she gave him Joseph and she gave him Benjamin. And the children that came from Rachel was loved more than the children that came from Leah. It wasn't that Leah was hated, but the Bible used that word to say that Leah was loved less than what Rachel was loved. 
Jacob loved both these wives, but one was loved more than the other. Now, let's come back to what Jesus is saying in the New Testament. I know you're following me now. Let's go back, because Jesus turned around and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You see, what Jesus is saying is not about you. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then you must love everything else in your life less than you love me. I must be, says the Lord, I must be the Rachel in your life. I must be the apple of your eye. I must be the one who is supreme in your thinking. I must be the one that you desire more than anything else. If you're going to be my disciple, says Jesus, then you must place me at the top of your tree. Yes, you have a father, you have a child, you have your, 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 your mother and children. Yes, you will love them, but you will love them less than what you will love me. He makes no apology about that. And that makes perfect sense. Why does that make perfect sense? We're sitting there and say, wow, that's huge. How can I, I love Jesus more than I love my wife? She's sitting with me right now. And she might get into the car and say, do you love Jesus more than you love me? <laughs> you know, and, and how can I do that? And, and it doesn't make sense. How can, how can that happen? Well, listen. What the Colossians say, look what the Bible says about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, listen to this, all. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Listen, your wife has been created by God. Your husband has been created by God. Your children, you did not do anything to create them. God himself fashioned your children in your womb. You did nothing at all to receive a wife, to receive a husband, to receive a parent. You did nothing. All things... Everything comes from God through Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now that makes perfect sense to me, but if that's not enough, the word of God goes on further and he says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, listen to this, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. You know that word supremacy? It means there's nothing else above that person, that one. He must have the supremacy. That is why Jesus turns around to the crowd and he says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to claim to be a Christian this morning, then I must have supremacy in your life. 
Why, Jesus? Why must you be first? Why must you have the supremacy? Why must why can I love other things that you've given me? More than you, why is that? Well, he turned around again. The verse is, is still hitting some more in Colossians. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in the heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Why should you put Jesus first? Because his blood was shed. That's why. There's no other, there's no other reasons, but that's, that's, just, that's a wonderful reason. Jesus died so that you can have real life. So you can turn around to your wife and say, I love you because God has given you to me. You can turn to your husband and say, I love you because God has given you to me. You can turn to your children, I love you and I'm blessed to have you, but I know who you come from. God has given you to me. That's why I love him first. He is the supremacy. He's the supreme one. I put him before anyone else. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, then you cannot be my disciple. You can go to church. You can sing songs. You can read read the word. But I want to tell you something. A true disciple is someone who's learning, constantly learning how to put Jesus before other things. That's what a disciple is. So the first thing Jesus says, and not only that, he speaks to this church. I like it right at the end of Revelation. He says to this church, you know, um, he says to this church, you know, you have forgotten your first love in Revelation 2.4. You had a love for me first. When you first became Christians, you entered into the people of God. You had a love for me. You loved me more than anything else. You couldn't wait to open your Bible. You couldn't wait to, 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 to hear the preach word. You couldn't wait to pray. You had a love for me. But something has happened that has taken your love away. And the Lord Jesus speaks to the church. In Revelation, and says to him, you say to them, you have forgotten your first love. Come back. Come back to me. Repent. Come back to me. Maybe the Lord is saying that to you this morning. Maybe when you first became a Christian, it was like, wow, this is wonderful. Got baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, my life is changing. I'm putting down things that are bad. You know, swearing and cursing and drinking and drugs and cigarettes and and putting these things down. And and God is coming and changing me. Oh, Oh, my life is completely changed. And you had a love for Jesus. But then, over the months and years, you have forgotten your first love. Jesus says, come back. Come back. Come back to me. That's the first thing I want to say, love. The second thing I want to say is about the cross. Jesus then turned around and says to this crowd, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We all know that Jesus had a physical cross to carry, don't we? Maybe it wasn't a whole cross, maybe it was a part of a cross, but after he was whipped and beaten to the 
an inch of his life and his body was shattered and there was blood everywhere and he was weak. The Roman soldiers took a, a big piece of wood, part of a cross, and say, carry it. And Jesus had to pick up this cross and walk. And as he took up this cross and walked, it was a sign to everybody that he was a dead man. That he was dead already. He was dead to the trappings of life. He was dead to the powers of this world, dead to influences, dead to the houses and the property and the financial markets. He was dead to it all as he carried his cross. He was dead to family and friends. He was a dead man. I remember some years ago watching a film with Tom Hanks called The Green Mile. It's an old film now, but this big, huge black guy was in it. He was massive. And um, it was all set in the prison. And when the prisoner was about to be executed. They had to take him out from the prison. And as they took him out from the prison, that person had to walk to the electric chair. I think it was electric chair they had to go on and had to walk to the electric chair. And as they was walking to the electric chair, a man would cry out in front of the man who's going to die. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Everybody who looked at him knew that he was a dead man. Even though he was still alive. Even though he was still walking, he was dead. Dead to family and friends. Dead to houses and property. Dead to cars and dead to money. And and dead to prosperity. He was dead to everything. He was a dead man walking. That's where he was going. He was going to be executed. I want to tell you, Jesus turns around and says this. Anyone who does not take up his cross. You see, a cross is not a symbol of peace. The cross is not a symbol of love. The cross is not a piece of silver or gold that we adorn our necks or earrings or ears with. The cross is not a tattoo that people love to plaster all over their bodies. They do all of that with crosses. I want to tell you what a cross is. A cross is a symbol of death. That's the number one thing it is. The cross is a symbol of rejection and it screams, I am dead to the world. Not only has the world rejected me, but I have rejected the world. I don't want nothing to do with the standards and the values and the principles of this world. I am dead to the world, but I am alive to Christ. That is what the cross symbolizes. So when you have a cross around your neck or in your earrings, don't say, oh, well, this cross you know, reminds me of love and, and peace and hope. You might put those things to it yourself. That's man-made things. But in the New Testament, I want to tell you, it had only one meaning. If you're carrying your cross, it means you're going to be nailed to it. You're going to be executed. You're going to die. And Jesus turns around and says, you want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? Well, I want you to count this. I want you to take up your cross and I want you to see that this world that you're living, 
Though it might be nice, though you might have things that's lovely in it, though having a house and a car is all fair and square, and there's nothing evil about having these things, but I want your attitude and your feelings towards the world to be as nothing. But if you take away my house tomorrow, you take away my, my car tomorrow, I will still have a joy in my heart. Because I know Christ. That's what I want from you, says the Lord. If you want to be my disciple, then be dead to the world. And so there's two areas there that he's just teaching, he's preaching to those people. You know, crowds. There were large crowds following him. You thought Jesus would look at the crowds and wow, I'm so popular. He said, follow me and I will give you more bread. I'll give you more wine and water. Follow me, I'll make it easy for you. He doesn't say that. He makes it more difficult for them. And said, so you really want to follow me? Then be sure that you must put aside your family comes second to me because I created all things. You put the, the, the money and the world aside because I... I'm asking you to take up your cross and follow me. Are you counting the costs? Even this morning, are you thinking to yourself, wow, this is what Christianity is all about? Yes, it is. I don't blame people who hear the word. I blame preachers more than anyone else. Because preachers who preach the word often tell people that there is no cost. You hear people preaching and speaking and they tell you, you can just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and don't worry about anything. Just come. And they don't tell people that there's a cost. Jesus, he's the one preaching and he's saying, you won't be my disciple. There's a cost and I want you to count it if you want to follow me. Let's move on to my third and final point as I close. So there was a love. He wants you to love him. I want you to remember that because people get so confused about that verse when it says hating your mother and father. They don't like that. As soon as they say that, they don't like it. And they say, I don't, I don't want to follow Jesus. They say, I've got to hate my parents. You've got to understand. It doesn't mean that. What he means is that you've got to love your parents less than what you love him. He's given you your parents. That's what it means. Let's go to the third and final point. Hope. Jesus now gives two very powerful illustrations that I would love to explain this morning. Two illustrations. First one is this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees, sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build... I wasn't able to finish. You know, a very good friend of mine, um, his daughter was um, married, still is married to a man who was building their dream home. And he decided to build their dream home over in North Weald somewhere, not very far from here, in North Weald. This house was going to cost about, um, I don't know, one and a half million pounds to build. But because he didn't count the cost, the build was greatly delayed. The price went up and up and up. Eventually, the man became bankrupt. He lost the house. He lost his wife. His wife divorced him. And even his child, which he 
had with her completely disowned him. This man lost everything because he decided to build something far bigger than himself. He didn't count the cost. People become so-called Christians and they're not told about the cost. They think that they can live in the lap of luxury and just get to heaven on a chariot of fire. I can live as I please and God one day will carry me by angels into glory. But when hardship comes, when persecution comes, when unemployment comes, when loved one dies, when marriages fail, when cancer comes, they shake their fist at God and say, God, I didn't count on this. I didn't sign to become a Christian and this happens to me. And they get angry at God when problems come into their lives. It's not entirely say, therefore, I believe preachers have told them. And so when things come, they get angry because they haven't counted the cost of following. Before the crown comes the cross. Before the rest comes the fight. Before the glory comes the pain. You need to understand there's a cost in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody wants the crown. They want the rest. They want the glory. But they don't want the cross, the fight, or the pain. And yet Jesus says, come to me. I will sort out all your worries. Come to me. But as you come, be aware that there's going to be a cost. I've heard stories of soldiers going into the regiments, into different regiments, and they go in and they and they like the parade, you know, the parade where they shine their, their badges and their their, 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 their their helmets and they shine their guns and they got polished their boots and they love the parade. But one guy, after being in the parade, was shipped out to Afghanistan or to Iraq, and when he was there and the bullets were flying. He said to the other guy, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the parade. <laughs> no. There's a fight. There's a fight. And if you truly are following Christ, you need to be aware that he calls you into a battle. I praise God he calls you into a family. But he also calls you into an army as well. The second picture that Jesus gives um, is this picture. Let's just, and I'm going to close with this picture. It says this. Let's get my, um, sorry, um, Haley, could you, uh, Emily, could you just help me there? Thank you. Let's miss one. Or well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men. You get the picture here. The, the, the man, the king, is, is about to go to war and there's a, another king coming towards him. And he thinks to himself now, how many has he got on his side? He finds out there's 20,000. He looks at his resources and he realizes that he hasn't got enough resources. You've got 10,000 men. So Jesus turns around and says, well, this king, he will, 
He's not able, if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. And he will ask for terms of peace. Listen, there's a lot of different thoughts on this particular passage, but listen to this. The king of heaven is coming. He's coming to speak with you. You need to ask yourself, do I have enough resources to stand against this king? Have I got enough good works? Have I got enough um, good things in my character, in my life, to be able to stand against this king coming? And when you think about it, you realize, hold on, I'm weak. I've got sin in my life. I've got wickedness in my life. I'm rebellious. I do things in secret that no one knows about that is wrong and evil. There's nothing in me that can stand up against this king. Listen to Jesus' advice. Sit down. Sit down. And while he's still a long way off, ask for terms of peace. Romans 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Sit down and think about how you can make peace with God. Because if he comes against you with 20,000, 30,000, the armies of heaven, you have no hope. Therefore, sit down now and begin to think about how you can make peace with God. And the only way you can make peace with God is going through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you can make peace with him. Praise be to God. Listen, Jesus speaks and he says, you know, you want to be my disciple. I want you to be my disciple. But I don't want you to come under false pretenses. I don't want you to become for a day or two and you like when things are going smoothly but when the weather changes and the cloud comes overhead and and problems come into your life and you find that you're dealing with bereavement and you're dealing with cancer and you're dealing with with, with unemployment and you're dealing with loss and, 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 and sadness in your life. I don't want you to turn away from me. I don't want you to still follow and be my disciple. Now, of course, most people cannot understand the cost, they think, wow, that's a big cost. Why should I do that? Why should I give so much? It's a huge cost. Taking up my cross. Not loving my family like I think I should. It's a huge cost to follow Jesus. Why should I do it? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus paid a bigger cost to get you. Very simply, the Bible very simply says, who being in very nature God, speaking about Jesus, he was very nature God, he was in heaven, he was enjoying rich fellowship with God the Father. He was drawing rich fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He didn't need anyone else within the Trinity. He was complete and completely, totally satisfied within himself. But the Bible says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. 
Hallelujah. Taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. What did it cost Jesus to save you? We cannot understand or comprehend it, even if you tried. That the eternal one becomes one who was fitted into a time. The God of the universe took on the form of a man. You cannot fully comprehend it. But after being found in appearance as a man, he went to the cross and allowed other men to put nails in his hands and in his feet. What a cost. What a cost. And when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. I've done it. I paid the price. It cost me everything. I like the song that we just sang today. Heaven looked away, it seemed. Because Christ himself paid it all for you and for me. So how can you say, God, you know, it's a bit much now asking me to, you know, love my parents less. It's a bit much to ask me to love my children less. It's a bit much for me to take up my cross and to go through some, some difficulty, some hardship. It's a bit much when Jesus took up his own cross and went all the way to Gethsemane and died for you. Now, if I, was, uh, if I was able to, I would say, well, all those who don't really want to pay that price, you can leave the church now. And those get up and leave, only leave five of you. I'd rather have five people, ten people, who are saying, I want to pay the price. I want to follow Christ. Somebody said, give me ten men like that, and I will change the world. But sadly, in churches, we've got a bunch of people, not just this church, but in churches around, bunches of people who turn around and say, yes, I want some of it, but I'm not willing to pay anything for it. My dear friends, if Christ was preaching to you this morning, and I'm not Christ, but if Christ was preaching to you this morning, he would say to you, take up your cross and follow me. Love your family less, but make sure you love me the most. Why? Because I am the supreme one. I don't need to give any apology for who I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Everything was created for me and by me. I hold all things together. I am the exact image, the representation of God himself. Therefore, love me. And by loving me, you will love your family. By loving me, you will love yourself. By loving me, you will love the world. By loving me, you will do more good in your generation, in your time. Because you have me as a supreme person in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus doesn't hide 
anything in the small print, but it makes it very clear. And Father, I pray that today there will be people here who will say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to come back. And I want to love him as I ought to love him. I want to put him first. I may stumble along the way. And I know I do as a man, Lord. I stumble along the way trying to, 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 to be the right disciple. But I'm learning, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a disciple that is learning and growing. And, 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 and maybe making mistakes along the way. But Lord, I'm happy that I'm your disciple. And I pray, oh God, that this church will be filled not with people who say that they are Christians, but Lord, it will be filled, of men, filled with men and women who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Stumbling and failing along the way, but nevertheless still walking after you. Father, I pray that your spirit will come in such great measure and raise up an army of believers who will pray and cry out and lay hold of you because we know what you have done for us. You've paid a tremendous cost to win me. You've paid a tremendous price to buy back this church. And we thank you, Lord, for the price that you have paid, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in his name. Amen.